Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Working with Mike Lee is what you would call an actor's dream come true. Since his debut in 1972, the 75-year-old legendary British director has made 20 films and consistently refined his craft to fit a process where the collaboration with actors is paramount. This is due in part to his own experiences at acting school in the 60s, where he felt confined by rigid Shakespearean premeditation and hostile attitudes towards experimentation. Perhaps his only rule now is that he must discover what his film is through the making of it. This starts with the actors, and in effect, it begins as early as the audition process. Here he negates modern methods, instead opting for one-on-one improvisations with those going out for the part. Later, these improvisations will become the basis for building scenes throughout the production, and as a result, they are stacked one upon the other to build a narrative. I sat down with Lee at TIFF this year, where his latest film, Peterloo, made its North American premiere. We nailed down his process with actors from audition to production and confronting your own status quo by challenging yourself as a filmmaker with every new film you make. The advice he gives is invaluable. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and I am here this morning with the legendary British director, Mike Lee. Um, It's great to have you on the show, Mike. It's uh, an honor. Um, Good to be here. I think that... I'm going to start off with sort of an, maybe an unconventional question uh, in accordance with maybe some of the other questions that you've gotten so far here, uh, Tiff. And um, that is, I know you went to RADA uh, to, to start off your career and you were studying acting um, a long time ago. Uh, how did going to RADA and studying acting sort of inform uh, your beginnings as a director? Well, I mean... I, I did go to RADA, and I'll come back to your question in a moment, but I, having been to RADA, I then uh, spent a year acting in a, in a couple of films and things. I then went to art, two art schools for a year each and to the London Film School. Mm. So I crammed into the first half a decade of my um, y- young life in the early... This is the beginning of the first half of the 1960s, um, trying to l- really f- learn about a whole different bunch of related skills Hmm. one acting course one general course of uh, a foundation course in doing a lot of different kinds of visual creative stuff Hmm. a year in the theater design department and london film school which i kind of went to uh some one stage when whilst i was doing the other things at the same time um as far as rada the actor training was concerned i mean i think the most important thing for me looking back on it in retrospect, is that at that time, and this is no longer the case, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, this is the beginning of the 60s, -hmm. was very old-fashioned. It was very straight. Uh, You didn't explore, you didn't ask questions, you didn't improvise. We never improvised or did any of that. We never really talked about what is this play about or who are these char- who are these people, where do they come from, what mm. is the world that we're dealing with. You just did the play. Right. You learnt the lines and, as they used to say, didn't fall over the furniture. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I, from the word go, was instinctively questioning that mm. and thinking there must be other ways of you know, of doing things. And, you know, there were things... I mean, added to that was the fact that 
I grew up in Manchester, where my current film is set, coincidentally. Uh, 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 and I, until I was 17, when I went to London to be a student at, at RADA, I never saw a movie that wasn't in English. I saw massive amounts of movies. You could go to the movies all the time. And I did, and I was passionate about films. But they were all Hollywood and British films. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I... At the point when I started my actor training, I was also out there discovering world cinema. And at that moment, like this is like this time of the year in 1960, right. um, for example, um, Abu Dasouf, you know, mm -hmm. Godard's great film was showing. You know, that was a complete, for someone that had never seen a, a French movie or a movie that wasn't in English, it was a mind blower. Yeah. And so all of those things, running parallel with this rather old-fashioned, stale c kind of British acting crap we were doing. Right. Um, you know, all set the ball rolling. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, as I went through learning other disciplines and things, you know, it really led me to, quite quickly, to doing what I'm still doing, which was to kind of... To, because I realised that it, it's all about... Uh, I felt it was possible for... for the writing process to be combined with the rehearsal process, to be combined with the filmmaking process, with the playmaking process, uh, for actors to be more than just interpreters, but to be creative artists in their own right, mm. and all of those things which have informed and been part and parcel of how I've made uh, films and indeed theatre for ever since the mid-1960s. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe your, uh, your pre-production process in that sense? Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, uh, I mean, the, the the pure version of what I have been doing, which is to say, most of the films of mine that you can see, uh, which is to say, most of the contemporary contemporary films, uh, have been where we have set out to explore and to discover stuff and bring into existence, mm. to discover what the film is by the process of making it. Mm. So there's never a script in the conventional sense. I don't sit down and write a script and then interpret it in the usual way. I mean, you know, I work individually with the actor. I ask actors to take part in the thing and I have to say to them, look, I don't know what it is. And you, you know, I can't tell you what we're doing, gonna be doing, but we'll find it. Mm. And conventionally for the contemporary films where we've made up the narrative, um, I always say, you know, uh, you will never know anything about the project except what your character knows, right. which makes it possible to explore relationships in a really organic and truthful way. And thus you arrive at something like Secrets and Lies or Vera Drake or Naked or whatever. Um, so th th that, that happens over a long period. Um, working in some old building somewhere as a sort of base, right. uh, until we reach a point when I can decide on the, uh, 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 the structure of the thing mm. in a very s pre preliminary skeletal way, and that we could get out on location, scene by scene, sequence by sequence, uh, and build the scenes uh, through rehearsal, mm -hmm. through improvisation and stuff, arriving at something very precise, which we then shoot. Of course, while all that's going on with the actors, I'm, you know, p production is preparing, and. Um, design is looking for locations and, you know, uh, a discussion goes on between me and the cinematographer mm -hmm. to decide on the style of what how the thing should look and tests are shot and all of those things. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's all about getting out there and making a film up as you go along mm. in an informed way. And with these period films, of which Peter Lou, which we're here presumably to talk about, uh, is the latest, um, we do all of that except that 
you know, if it's a historical subject and everybody knows what it is, uh, then it's a different thing. But we still use the same techniques and the same approaches to building a character and uh, a characterization uh, and bringing it to life and making it happen. Because you can research till the cows come home. You can read everything there is to read until you're blue in the face. But that doesn't make it happen in front of the camera. Exactly, yeah. You know, something has to happen that's organic right. and real mm -hmm. uh, and three-dimensional in front of the camera to, so that you can create a truth that, uh, you know, we can believe in. So what are the type of questions that you use again and again with your actors when you're asking them to sort of investigate this well, internal the, life? Uh, um, it starts with, irrespective of what whatever kind of, wherever we're going with it, or wherever we're going to go, or whether it's a character based on somebody we're reading about in history books or whether we're making somebody up, um, I always say, look, make a list of real people that you know and talk to me about them. And sometimes, particularly when we're going to make a character up, sometimes that's very extensive. Indeed, I mean, Sally Hawkins, who plays the central character, Poppy in uh, Happy Go Lucky, she um, is the record holder at 214 people, <laughs> as she knew. Uh, David Thewlis for Naked, I think, clocked up 98 or something. Huh. Um, but of course, that's then. I mean, it, it whittles down to you know so a couple, two or three sources, and it just—it's just that you know, acting. Some actors are just very good at sort of being themselves. Mm -hmm. But what I do is not about actors being themselves; it's about playing characters mm. out there in the street. So it's all about you know, if you say, well, if if you don't bother to. Th try and think of sources out there the actor simply falls back on the risk either the resource of himself or herself or some random cliche uh sort of half thought about character character of some sort mm -hmm. or some or their standard kit of certain kind of characters mm -hmm. um so it gives us just a starting point which is specific because the actor you're asking you're actually asking the actor to do what artists do to draw from an actual source mm -hmm. um, but then it's, it's a sophisticated thing it moves through different processes until it gets to the character character and then it's all about putting the actors together and improvising and massive amounts of research and all of that until you arrive at a point where you really got whole action on the go and that, that's the raw material which we then can draw from when we get onto location mm -hmm. and start to build scenes. So then for Peter Lou in particular, um, I think that you, you, you hinted at like it's, it's this event that people know uh, the outcome of. Um, you know, like your your climactic scene is something that uh, yeah. the audience knows is going to happen throughout yeah. like the entire film, um, which is a difficult thing to explore. Well, I, I, the point is this. Uh, it isn't because in the end, it's about exploring from the character's point of view, wherever mm. they're at at any particular point. Now, they don't know it's going to be a massacre. They, we know, the actors know. Yes. But more important, the audience. I mean, I think the thing about the audience knowing yeah. is that I think that's why the film, if the film works, that's one of the things that makes it work. Because you know from the outset that you're, this tip thing is going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't mm -hmm. know what you're going to experience. But you are um, the shadow however consciously or subconsciously it may be, for you, the audience, 
casts itself across the whole experience. You know that you know, and so you see these people, and many of them you see in their innocence moving towards this thing, and you know there's going to be a calamity. And I think that's part of the the the, the dynamics and the, the the tension that that makes the drama work basically. Mm. Um, but as to the manufacturer of the thing, right. as I say, I mean, you know, nobody knows, you, you know, actors are perfectly used to being in a, getting into a particular moment in the action where you have to buy into the fact you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's I, that's something that you uh, found during the actual process because you're talking about how you're making the, you make movies almost uh, as you're making movies. It's not something that you're really planning ahead of time. So did you let these characters uh, sort of inform where the drama went? No. Uh, well, sorry, yes and no, because it depends what you're talking about. I mean, for example, at the center of the film is a working class family. Yes. Now we've invented that. Yes. They are fictitious characters. They're they're, they're authentic in the research, the n- nature of those lives, but they are actual fictitious characters. There are characters in the film who, um, j- just as happens in Mr. Turner or indeed Topsy Turvey, who are who do the things that those people did. Um, but you still have to interpret how you make that happen. Um, so, as, so there are moments in the film where, um, it, which have come out of spontaneous improvised moments lots of them we, but 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 live and exist within the overall context of the authenticity of what's go, what what's going on and the thrust of things i mean there are tiny moments that are completely came out of rehearsal i mean there's a moment in the film which everybody um likes um i hope and i think they do where um this very pompous famous orator Hunt is having his portrait painted Mm -hmm. and he enlists the help of a maid to hold um, the paper steady so he can write notes while the guy's painting the portrait without moving his arm and I mean hold the note without moving his arm and there was a and the girl says (laughs) will I be in the picture now that Actually, that actress, who's brilliant young actress, who came, we found her, she came straight out of drama school and did that. And she just, I mean, you know, she steals the whole bloody movie. Yeah. You know, with that one. And that, she just did that in the improvisation, and that has to be in. Of course, that doesn't alter the fact that the whole movie, the whole two-and-a-half-hour movie, is uh, a serious investigation of mm-hmm. what went on in 1819, you know. So how do you identify these actors, like, when you're in the casting process? How do you know that someone is going to have this ability to, like, build a life on set like that? Well, uh, there are two kinds of actors, intelligent actors and stupid actors. <laughs> and there are plenty of thick actors around in the world, <laughs> and none of them are in my film. Um so it needs intelligent actors. And also it needs, as I've already said, it needs character actors, people who, are, who can and enjoy and get off on and are committed to playing real people out there in the street, not just let's say, actors who are not motivated by narcissism. Mm-hmm. Um, how I find them is that we are blessed with uh, brilliant actors in the UK. Yes, absolutely. And I've got, a, I work with a famous and brilliant casting director, Nina Gold, who's done lots of movies that you've seen, um, who's done all my films since Topsy Turvy 20 years ago. And, you know, is very good at finding, lining people up. Also, you know, I go and see shows, I watch television, I do all those things that you do when you, and I spent six months casting uh, I mean, there's something I want to say about m- my casting uh, uh, thing. 
process is, is that, uh, first of all, anyone that I audition comes and I have a conversation with them with nobody else in the room, and that's important, nobody. Why is that important? Because it's about me and them finding out how we're going to get on, and gotcha. you know, mm-hmm. and it's nobody else's business. Right. So the kind of acting, the kind of audition experience that many actors are subjected to, where they get in a room full of people who talk about the script, and the, you know, they're hoping to get Nicole Kidman, and they, well, they're trying to raise the money, or they haven't raised the money, and all kinds of other stuff, and they never ask the actor about that, and never talks about anything, or you know, and they may not. Obviously, it's a film they only just might be in. Mm-hmm. I object to that thoroughly. And so it's all about just one-on-one. Because when I work with the actors, if they're going to be in it, we're going to start on one-on-one work with nobody else in the room, you know. Um, So that happens first. And I do that for at least 20 minutes, usually half an hour. And then if if I feel they're worth pursuing, I bring them back for a whole hour, again, just one-on-one. And they do a bit of work, which I won't go into, but to do its character work. Mm -hmm. And by those means, I... Um, get the hang of the possibilities. But here's the thing I wanted to say, is the thing I object to uh, that's become more and more prevalent is auditions on tape. Somebody said to me yesterday, do, do, do you record these? Said, Absolutely not. You know, it's it, uh, the whole thing of self-taping and all that stuff mm-hmm. has become uh, the norm and it's abused. Mm-hmm. It's abused. People don't look at it, or they, you know, uh, uh, and it's very difficult. People of actors are asked to act a bit of the actual film that, you know, the script. They can't do that. I mean, you have to prepare these things. You can't just pull it out of the hat, you know, in a sort of spontaneous way. Um, not without it being uh, containing a, a, a substantial degree of bullshit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I don't do any of that, you know. And, uh, you know, it's all about what's in your head, you know. Are you uh, like reading these li- like reading scenes with them? No, when you're in the- no, no, no. Just no. It's all about getting them to do ca- people they know and mm-hmm. stuff. No, it's about improvising. Hmm. Well, so talking about you know people on the street, which is a, a I think a theme in many of your movies, um, and it started off with sort of more uh, I guess what they would call kitchen sink. Uh, stuff in your early stages of your career, but now it's moved on to these historical epics, but it's still essentially the same thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are people. And indeed, there are kitchen sink scenes in this film. Yeah. I mean, there's a, this working class family who live in virtually in one room, uh, and there, it's, very, it's nothing if not uh, ordinary people kitchen sink, you mm-hmm. know I mean? Mm-hmm. Literally. Um, no, so far as I'm concerned, people are people. And the whole philosophy of the thing, which converts into a practical way of doing it uh, and what you see in the films, is that everybody's an individual and a unique individual. And that, that's what community and society is made of. So that informs uh, not only um, the approach to the acting and performance, uh, 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 and therefore the subject matter, but also the way we look at it. The way I mean, for example, in the... Um, big massacre se- sequence, which is long and complex in its uh, mm. details, mm. There are, there's no aerial shots. Mm. Now, that's not just a technical thing. That's a philosophical thing. You know, we don't say, we don't look down at them and see them as ants, <laughs> you know, uh, little insects crawling around. We see we're, in, we're down there on the ground with them. Yeah. Yeah, Everything yeah. is in there 
with it so you're really experiencing it like you were there. Yeah. You know, there's absolutely, there will be no advantage in a high, long shot of the thing. It's just a lazy way of storytelling, uh, you know, uh, certainly in the context of this kind of stuff. It seems like uh, Peter Lou yesterday during the Q&A, or, or maybe it was prior to the film, uh, you mentioned a, how you wanted to take take it on because it was such a challenge. Um what is the value of a filmmaker going after a challenge like that? Like, what, why, why should filmmakers be constantly challenging themselves as they evolve in their career? Well, um, I would have to ask the question, why should any of us challenge ourselves yeah. with anything in life? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. actually. Yeah. And certainly, you know, if you're going to, in any shape or form, be serious as an artist, uh, you have to go on confronting your own status quo. Hmm. I mean, apart from anything else, I mean, I, I've now been making, my first feature film was made in 1971 when I was 28. Mm -hmm. Now I'm 75, right? Mm -hmm. And I've made 21 films. Now, apart from the fact that that's a, a long time to be doing it and 21 films is a lot of films, yeah. I've also progressed from being a 28-year-old person to a 28-year-old single person to a 75-year-old grandfather, huh. for example. Yeah. I mean, in other words, I've seen life. You yeah. know? Now, I could, you, the, the, the underlying assumption, which has to, can be the only premise of your question, is yeah. why haven't you gone on making the same film over and over again? Well, you know, that just seems profoundly irresponsible, <laughs> un uninteresting, unadventurous, and not, and not making the most of opportunities and possibilities. So one is constant. I mean, I, you know, th there is a definite um, imprimatur, you know, style or whatever you call it, or, or running themes and things which are in my film. So you can look at one of my films, including Peterloo, and you can pretty well know it's my film. Mm. On the other hand, I always try and do something very different. And, you know, from one film to the next, you know, when I made that film Naked, everyone said, oh, my God, what happened to those domestic families in, in houses? And they, well, you know, this is a different sort of film. You know, you, 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 know you, you have to challenge the status quo, even though, in the end, you do wind up making the same <laughs> film at a certain level, you know. Yeah. That's part and parcel of, of uh, you know, otherwise you would become stale, and go to sleep and die. <laughs> <laughs> I I hate to end it on that okay. note. Well, it's quite a good note to end it yeah. on, actually. But thank you so much, Mike. Yeah. No, this thank was you. a real pleasure. And uh, go see Peterloo uh, when it comes out in the States internationally. Great. Uh, it's a pleasure to... Lovely. Thanks for talking to me. It's been nice to talk to you. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Thanks for listening, and thanks once again to Mike Lee. Peterloo is out in theaters now, so go check it out. Please subscribe to the No Film School podcast, as always, on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you want to, you can go ahead and rate us on iTunes if that's your preferred method. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. You can follow No Film School at No Film School. And stay tuned this Thursday for yet another episode of Indie Film Weekly. We'll see you then.